this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam Balderstone, and we're here to talk about Torchwood and possibly some gaming topics. Um, we've been watching the first series of, of Torchwood and, and discussing each episode, so today we're going to talk about small worlds and countryside. I think that's the uh, fifth and sixth episode of the season. Um, so, so Adam, uh, why don't we start on um, small worlds? What was your take on... On, on this episode i i liked it overall i think it was pretty flawed in a lot of ways but uh i i mean it had it was an interesting idea but i kind of i, I felt like a lot of a lot of it never quite got me emotionally engaged as far as you know the family and the daughter and stuff and it uh it felt like the ending should have hit harder than it did but yeah, I agree with that. But go on, go on. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, it, it's not it's not like they were giving bad performances or something. But somehow, I mean, they, they just kind of made the, the family life kind of unpleasant enough that you weren't sure how to feel about any of it to an extent. And uh, well, I wasn't at least. And it's uh, and the, and the girl, I don't know. I mean, she was kind of a jerk. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, you were supposed to, and, and I mean, you were supposed to empathize with her, I think, but she she kind of came off as, I don't know, just very unlikable. Um, yeah. And so it, it just, it, 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 you really didn't, you know, like, okay, fine, go live with the fairy. You know what I mean? Like that was sort of your, you know? <laughs> I, know. Um, I know. And it's like, I feel bad for the mom, but of course this girl just killed this, this guy. And I mean, he was, I don't know, he was kind of a jerk, but he wasn't. I don't know. He didn't deserve to get killed. <laughs> I, I, I liked. I liked the. Um, I liked the uh, the concept, and mm-hmm. I thought that it really. I mean, it really does sort of bring up like Torchwood is really a very different show from Doctor Who, and this is when it gets up into this territory. You can see that. Um, you know, I I, I I read somewhere that that he actually had this idea for this show, or maybe you mentioned it to me. I don't know, but I. Somewhere I heard that he had had this idea for a show like this, and it kind of materialized, you know, through Doctor Who. But I think that a lot of the pre-existing concepts were kind of, you know, uh, or maybe what made Torchwood so different. Um, sure. But uh, but I you know I like I like the idea of sort of these these fairies that are that are a little bit nefarious. Um, yeah. And, oh, me too. It's a great idea. And, I, I I like that whole thing. But but I kind of agree with you. I didn't really care about the characters that were involved. The only character mm-hmm. that I was even vaguely interested, I think her name was Estelle, the uh, the old lady. Um, oh, okay. I I did like her actually. Yeah. That was the, the subplot. Like I said, the family plot line, no. But I thought her and and Jack, and I was like, wow, that was it made it fleshed Jack out a lot on the show. I was she she was great, but it's it was kind of this weird plot that didn't quite connect to the other plot though, aside from yeah. the fairy thing. No, and I think, like, I would have been happy to just focus on that, I think. Like, because I thought that was a little more... In, like, they could have... Because the whole yeah. thing with him, you know, her being a former lover of his, I guess, or maybe, you know, who knows, maybe even, like... I don't think they said they were married or anything, but... but um, no. But, but, you know, that was an interesting... That was an interesting background to the character. Uh, it was a surprise. It, there was a level of mystery to it. And, and then they had the whole thing with him on the train and the ferry, so... Uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I think what it boiled down to is, is we might've been having the same reaction. The father and the daughter were both not terribly likable and the mm-hmm. mother was very sort of, I don't even, 
remember her that much. So I didn't really care. Yeah. About them. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know. I mean, making the mother more sympathetic might have given the whole thing more weight, but we didn't. The mother wasn't enough of a character to really register much. So, you know, I mean, I. You know, and it's not it's not like I mean, it's, you know, it was a realistic performance and everything. There's I'm not faulting the acting in any way. It just didn't didn't connect. Yeah. And uh, and, you know, and you get this really abrupt ending where everyone really rejects Jack at the end. And then it's just gone the next episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it yeah. felt like that should have had more weight. But no, well, no, well they're kind no. of building Jack like they're they're. They're, they're, you know, the, the, the whole, mm -hmm. the, the whole arc of his character is sort of being built upon there. So, yeah, so I think this episode, you really, you know, it, 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 it this episode, and actually the next episode as well, but is, you're really starting to see the Jack, uh, character, uh, his background and, 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 and towards the end, you start to see them developing again, that darker, that darker side to the character. Um, yeah. Yeah, so. which is which is good because I uh, I have to admit uh, it's it's like you know kind of stranding Jack as the boss. It's like in some of the episodes it, I I haven't gotten as much Jack Harkness feel as I wanted from watching a show with Jack Harkness, but this one kind of grounded him a bit. You know, it's kind of it's kind of cast. It's it's weird because it's like a lot of the episodes have cast him as the kind of unfeeling guy at the top who. Mm. And it's like it's it's just a weird role for for Jack to be in relative to what he was on Doctor Who, and this one kind of gave him more emotions again. I think. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I think I, there'll be I, there'll be plenty of that. I think as the series goes on, because they they do sort of try to find their footing with his character. I think, and I think making him the the leader of the group is is one part of it, but also dealing with the fact that he now has this whole long history uh, because he's been alive for so long. And, and mm, that gets even more true. convoluted. You'll you'll see how convoluted that can get. In the yeah, I got to admit, I am I am very confused about his history based on what I know from Doctor Who. It's like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lost on on where he's lived and when he's lived at the moment. I so, think we will get more detailed, and I'm sure there's like a a fan wiki page that's cataloged. His uh his chronological development. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm uh, sure. but yeah, yeah. But so yeah. So for me, I guess this episode, I thought it was a fine episode, but it, it, it I was a little like you. I wasn't terribly interested in the family, and I think that kind of uh, sucked out a little bit of my interest in it. Um, and I was more interested in the subplot. Um, but I thought the subplot was pretty interesting. So yes. Know, um, and, and the uh, main plot wasn't bad. It just wasn't. I don't know. It just wasn't. It wasn't great. That's all. And uh, and yeah. And so then the next episode is uh, Countryside, which um, I don't know. I yes. think it was almost a cross between The Hills Have Eyes and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't know if that's an accurate uh, description. It's pretty accurate. Pretty uh, accurate. <laughs> and, uh, and so basically, in this episode is the one where they they're 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 going to investigate murders in the countryside and. Um, and spoilers for people who haven't seen the episode. It turns out that, that these are basically, um, uh, they're like the Quavari from Ravenloft. Uh, you know, every 10 years they kind of go crazy and, and have to harvest human meat and, uh, uh, and, and basically kill and eat people that wander through their, through, through the village. Um, 
And so, you know, it's a, it, but, but I think it was really well done. You know, it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a concept that could, it's really in the execution. I thought they did a good job with this episode. They did. I mean, as someone that, you know, was a teenager in the eighties, I have seen countless, countless slasher films and almost all of them are flat and kind of boring. And I'm largely tired of the entire medium, but this was good. It was like, yeah, this is, this, this is a really good slasher type horror film. It, uh, it condensed down to an hour. Now, obviously, they had the constraint they couldn't kill any of the main cast, yeah. but uh, it, it still worked. Well, and they got, uh, and they, I thought they did a good job with that because you still were worried for the main cast. Um, yeah, and... yeah, it, I was. It, uh, it, it, it did, uh, I mean, yeah, it just it kept you on it. I mean, you know, I mean, a good, a good episode of a TV show will, you know, keep you on edge, even if you know there's no way. You know that the main characters can die. You'll still you'll kind of like, forget that in the moment. And like you know, like like when gets shot, and it's a pretty you know, yeah. it's a pretty alarming <laughs> moment in the in the in the episode. But it also gives gives a chance to kind of show off that uh, that Owen's a doctor. Do you know what I mean like like he's yes. got like he's got like he's you know because he's because he's such a jerk most of the time that that's easy to o- it's easy to overlook why he's valuable to Torchwood. Um, and so you know you you see that he actually does know what he's doing. Um, and he's just maybe not a people person or not the right kind of people person. Um, he certainly has, a, a you know, a set of narrow people, people skills. Um, yeah. I mean, but that, that brings up another thing. This was a great character episode. I felt like, you know, I felt like I knew Owen a lot better. Tosh started to become a character this episode yeah. in a way she hasn't before. And, you know, and Gwen, it's like, Gwen's game where she decides, hey, let's all talk about who we kissed last. Just mm-hmm. this backfires and blows up in her face. was That was just really good cringe comedy there. Yeah. That was just... No, <laughs> was and, her, like... and, and, and Tosh becomes very... like I think this is the episode where you really start to see what her character is kind of about. And, yeah. and, and, and she becomes much more interesting. Because up until this point, she's kind of been a... Ba- she's been in the background more than the other characters, I think. Yeah, um, and, 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 you, and I understand it's an anthology show. It takes time, yeah. but you know, and uh, and obviously they develop the Gwen and Owens uh, storyline. Um, I won't give away where that goes, um, <laughs> but but it's you know it's an interesting, somewhat surprising turn, uh, and uh, yeah, um, and 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 again, they, I think they continue to develop uh, the you know Jack as well, uh, you know, with it, you know his methods and um, you know the. Uh, you know, so we, we see that he, he's, he's again, and this is, I, I, I say this a lot, but you know, you start to see sort of the Jack Bauer side of the character and, and he establishes in this episode that he has a, a history of torturing people professionally. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so, so, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if he specified where he picked up that skill. Um, you're kind of left to wonder which period he learned it in. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very curious about that actually, but, uh, um, but yeah, so so I thought that it, you know it does, it does a great job of kind of uh, of being both a really solid self-contained episode, but setting up a lot of pieces uh, for for future episodes, um, and uh, and also it had uh, the guy that plays Alistair Thorne, uh, Master of Arms at Castle Black, as as one of the main bad guys. Um, yeah, yeah, Owen Teal. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and, yeah. He he was very very good in it, and 
Yeah, and like like uh, you mentioned to me before we started the podcast that uh, you know he this was of course before Game of Thrones, so you know it would have been even more you know this thing of like whoa who is this guy? But yeah, he is a he's just a very intimidating presence. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's he's got like this weird combination of vaguely old guy who looks like he might be surprisingly powerful and robust underneath his clothes. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, yes. he, like he's got like an older face and he seemed like, like he could play a grandpa, but then you look at his neck and you're like, Oh, this guy is, is maybe a little <laughs> hulky. Um, and so he works well in that kind of a role where you're supposed to be afraid of him. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so yeah. And like you, I grew up on, on a lot of slashers and I thought this was a pretty good, uh, you know, take on that, on that genre. Um, yeah, I mean the uh, the opening scene with uh, the woman's car breaking down was well done, and uh, you know, and of course you got the twist about who's who's a victim and who's actually in on it, and it, it just pulled off a lot of things very well. And 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 I like how leading up the whole way you're sort of led to maybe think that aliens are somehow behind this or or some other force is behind it, and and uh, and it turns out it's basically just their tradition. You know, one, yeah. one of the worst <laughs> holiday traditions in uh, in television, uh, but a tradition nonetheless. Um, so, yeah, it, it was basically a Scooby Doo episode, but incredibly murderous. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I guess it does no have. Gross. There is a Scooby Doo quality to it. Um, That's. You know, where, where you think there's a supernatural thing going on, and it's yeah, well, it's just serial killers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah I. I yeah, I have to say, just uh, you know, not not jumping ahead to our next podcast, but we're soon going to be doing in our classic Doctor Who podcast the uh, the Sontaran experiment, and just watching that episode and this episode back to back, they're just both episodes that use the countryside of Britain really well to like just give this, mm. you know, just give this, this this atmosphere of it, this kind of isolated almost desolate atmosphere that you don't really think of when you think of uh britain typically but you know it's just they, they both seem like empty kind of scary places yeah no they, they, they did a very good job with the setting and uh and making them the characters feel very isolated even though they're part of this torchwood team they can you know see you know seemingly call backup anywhere you know they're uh you know they seem pretty cut off in yeah. uh, in this investigation so um, I think that's that's one of the things that if I if I had to criticize the show, I would say Torchwood seems to be very much on its own <laughs> when, uh, when, when, <laughs> yeah, when the shit hits the fan. So, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I again I I liked it and 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 you know we'll see where the Gwen and Owen thing goes. But uh, uh, yeah, poor Reese, I guess is all I can say. Poor Reese, he has no idea what's going on at uh. At, at, yeah, uh, at all, all the stuff taking place at her work. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, uh, I have to agree on that. But uh... <laughs> but yeah, but I think and 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 you know we'll see. I'm 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 curious what your your take on the next two episodes will be. But uh, but yeah, I thought I thought of the two, this was the stronger one. Um, I think I don't know. Do you agree with that? Is that your your? Assessment? Oh yeah, this was this was the strongest episode of the series so far. Definitely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that too. I think this is like a, a really solid, tight episode. Um, yeah, 
I mean, just, you know, to repeat myself, it wasn't just that it was a, a good plot. It just it just nailed all the characters very well at the same time. And I, I, I always admire that when you can have one that's a good standalone that gets all the characters involved and it just hung together very well. And um, what was it? Uh, yeah, so I guess the, uh, you know, the next, you know, moving to the next topic, uh, we wanted to talk about... Uh, historical games or gaming uh gaming in historical periods and uh uh i didn't know what thoughts you had on that subject well my thoughts are that i you know it's something that scares people off a lot of times it's hard often to get people into a historical game because they feel intimidated and so i've always taken the view that you know, I mean, this this is just my my approach. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with doing the we're going to do everything meticulously, accurately. You know, if you've got the group that can pull that off, that's great. Mm-hmm. But I I kind of like to take the almost, you know, the approach of we're, we're, we're going to do this take on this historical period. You kind of if you can find some fictional reference point or something that can get mm-hmm. the players on board. You know, if you're doing a Roman game, go, okay, this is going to be like I, Claudius. You know, yeah. you're not worried about getting Roman Roman accuracy, but everyone can watch I, Claudius. They're like, yeah, I get this. And they're going to be in on the game. You know, they can watch Rome, the HBO series, something like that. You find a fictional touchstone that everyone can get on board. And then you've got your historical period and you run it like any other role-playing game where you add extra details as needed. Yeah. But, so what's what, what's your feeling on it? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I tend to, I tend to approach it differently depending on what I'm doing. I think if I'm especially interested in the period, then I would want to go more for accuracy, um, mm-hmm. and I would do the research. Uh, if I'm maybe not as interested in it, it, like, like I don't, you know, I'm not particularly interested in reading about it heavily, but I feel like it would make a fine backdrop for adventure. Then I would sort of take more that that approach. Um, yeah. but I think the key really is for people to understand going in what they're getting. Like when I mm-hmm. watched Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, I was not expecting, you know, uh, uh, uh historically <laughs> accurate movie. Um, yeah. you know, and that might be a bad example because it's also not a very good movie, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know what I mean? You kind of going in, you know what you're getting and you, you watch it accordingly. You don't, you know, it's, it's a, uh, there's a big difference, uh, between, you know, a movie that's really just meant to kind of capture the history of something and one yeah. that isn't. And I think the same is true in gaming. And there are also movies that, you know, deliberately eschew real history in order to make a broader point or to explore some philosophical topic. Um, and so I, I, I feel like with history, you kind of need to treat it as is a as as a backdrop that you can do you can really approach it any number of ways it's really you know what what approach do you want to take and then just maybe being a little clear to the players what your you know what your goals are um i think the trick is some people especially gamers have a hard time putting that aside when they're in a game so yes if you've been reading books on roman history your whole life and the gm is now playing a um like a light-hearted romp uh you know where where uh you know it's not all that important the details of the real world history uh you know maybe more in the lines of history of the world type uh you know uh approach uh yes i I can easily see that one person piping in a lot um 
and 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 disrupting things for for the rest of the group i think i think the trick really i think the rule is don't be disruptive and don't mm-hmm. be disruptive can 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 apply to uh a gm who has decided to be historically accurate and suddenly isn't historically accurate and now that's disruptive but it can also apply to a player who's demanding historical accuracy from a game where that's clearly not the goal um yeah you know and yeah. so so just kind of being fair with whatever the you know whatever it is that, that the gm is doing and the group has decided on and and dealing with it in that way and i also think the the internet has made it both harder and easier to run historical games because <laughs> on the one hand you can look things up faster uh, on the other hand everybody can look things up like that <laughs> and so yeah you, you 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 can only be wrong for about five minutes before people catch catch the error whereas when i was running a game 15 or 20 years ago nobody was going to look up on the you know with their iphone as i was running the game whether yeah. whether i just invented something or not and maybe two weeks down the road somebody might come back and say hey i looked that up and that you know but the that ability to instantly fact check things um, I think is what maybe creates a lot of the nightmare scenarios for GMs that are worried about that. Um, uh, especially again, if you have players that are particularly picky and, uh, cause I think even if you do a tremendous amount of research, you're not going to cover everything. And, and, you know, there might be some detail about the way the society worked at the time that you are, are unaware of, and you're filling in that gap with an anachronism and, yeah. you know, and the players might be unforgiving about it. So, um, yeah, I think I think one good guideline is, you know, if you're if you're a player is don't ever, you know, once something's established, it's established, even if it's wrong. It's like if you can tell the GM something useful, you know that they don't and it hasn't been established either way yet. That's great. The GM might thank you for it and be like, boom, OK, yeah, you've, you know, given them information. But once the GM is clearly laid out that you know that that they have you know that this this city wasn't built in this year and stuff or whatever and you know they've got that wrong it's like just let it go it's yeah. like you know you're not gonna you're not you're not gonna add anything to the game by going this city shouldn't exist yet you know that you're just yeah. you're just pissing on the game at that point but if you know basically things you just want to make sure that you're adding and not trying to knock things down that are already established well i think like the, the more i the more i um uh you know uh, run historical games, the more inclined I am to treat the treat history lightly for the same reason, mm-hmm. like the more, uh, you know, uh, like I don't, you know, I, I, I love history and I, I think history is really important and I used to mm-hmm. be very anal retentive about it. But over the years, I, I started to, to care a lot less about movies being historically inaccurate and worrying a lot more about his movie, historical, historically based movies being good. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? There's certainly yeah. room for if somebody wants to make a stunning recreation of the past, I'm all for it. But that doesn't always lead to the most engaging movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, and I, I think the best historical movies for me sort of do a little bit of both. They'll bring in a, a lot of historical accuracy, but they'll also maybe weave in things that are are there more for, for modern viewers so that we can get pulled into it somehow. I think a movie yeah. like Agora did that. Um, so, you know, I like, I like, uh, games that kind of maybe take that approach as well. I, I, but, but, you know, again, my, my attitude is, I think, I think with game, I think, I think, uh, I, I have noticed people are generally, 
uh, more worried, it seems, when they're about to run a historical game. And I, I think part of the reason why is because, you know, people tend to, to correct others about the details. And so I think, I think correcting is fine, but just sort of, uh, do, you know, knowing to maybe do it after the session or, um, yeah. or knowing when, you know, when, when the GM is really seeking that kind of correction and when the GM might not be interested. Um, you know, that, uh, I, 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 I think with history, it's very easy to kill people's interest in it by making them feel inadequate. Do you know what I mean? By yes. sort of like crapping on them. Um, and I'd much rather see people develop an interest in history, even if it's, you know, around some inaccuracies, you know, so what? They'll, they'll eventually, if, if they, if the interest grows, they'll eventually surmount those, um, and, and I, 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 I've noticed that it's really, you know, the, one of the worst things you can do with uh, somebody who's just developing an interest in a time period is basically saying they're not smart enough to, to understand the time period. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, I completely do. Yeah. Yes. And it's an easy thing to do inadvertently. Like, if you know about a topic, it's very easy to think you're being helpful. I've done it a lot. And, 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 you, and you realize that uh, uh, you're just kind of being, uh, you're just kind of lording your knowledge over people. And, mm-hmm. And I think that's not, uh, that's, uh, I, I think that's just, a, I don't know. For me, I just, these days, I just think that's just the fastest way to destroy somebody's interest in it. So I try, I try to avoid doing it. Um, yeah, in the know. same way. I mean, I, like you, I used to be really nitpicky about movies being historically accurate. And I've, I've, I've also mellowed out about that. And yeah, and like you say, it's, it's people, I get frustrated about people who get too caught up in historical accuracy in role-playing games because that's why there's almost no players out there willing to play a historical game because yeah. they don't want to feel stupid. And it's really hard to get people on board with that kind of thing because they, they assume you're going to be doing – well, you know, they assume I'm going to be doing the same thing. And so I, I always have to you know soft sell it to people. It's like, look, this isn't – this isn't going to be that kind of thing. I'm just, we're just, you know, we're playing in this world that's, that's got the feel of this era, but it doesn't yeah. need to be that era specifically. And I mean, and there definitely is a place for, you know, if somebody's great at doing historical accuracy as a gym, that's fine. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's more the, I guess you would say like the snobbery around it that can be a problem. You know, that's what. Uh, it's the attitude. Yeah. yeah. It's the, attitude. I mean, you know, I, to, you know, I, I listen to Kenneth Heights podcast and he talks about how he's got this group that's all like grad students at, you know, University of Chicago. And they do these really intricate historical games because they're all deeply into it. And that's fantastic. That's great because it's the way that group yeah. is. But I also feel like if, you know, if, if, if Ken Heights running a game for a bunch of casual people, he's not going to be a dick about his historical knowledge. Or if he's playing in one, he can, he can, he's happy to go off in a weird gonzo direction with history too. So it's like, you can have it both ways. And I think, I think one, one, uh, one of the movies that really delighted me with that was when I saw Inglorious Bastards for the first time, you know, that was like clearly took a sharp deviation (laughs) and that's what made it so exciting. So, um, you know, and that, I guess that would fall more into the alt history, uh, category, but, uh, but you don't necessarily know that going in. And so, um, you know, I, 
you know, you, these are still games at the end of the day. So you want, you know, if, uh, you know, sometimes being accurate can be one of the more surprising things you can do to, to a party. Uh, yeah. If you're doing it deliberately. Um, but, yeah. but I think also with game settings in general, this comes up, you know, if you have a setting that's, you know, based in a, you know, sort of modeled after medieval France or, um, you know, modeled after, you know, uh, Tang Dynasty China or modeled after colonial America, uh, you know, even if it's not set in those periods, but it's inspired by them, these, these debates will still sometimes come up. Um, sure. And there's that, there is that sort of contrast. We'll, um, we'll call it the, the dividing line between the, the forgotten realms approach and the Harn approach, you know, sort of the, sort of, uh, you know, is it, is it sort of, I'm just, you know, you're throwing a ton of stuff into this blender and, and just, you know, and, and extracting the flavors that, that you need for, for, you know, you know, a cool barbarian culture, or are you taking a much more sort of, you know, rooted in history approach? Um, yeah. And again, I think both are fine, but I think sometimes what people do is they demand that, that the other one adhere to its opposites uh, principles. Do you know what I mean? And that's when yeah. it gets, you know, yeah. there's room for both. There's room for there both. There is. It's, it's like, one, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. The, the funny thing is, though, that a lot of the a lot of the role playing settings have been around so long. They've acquired the same issues with history that you get with actual historical games. Oh, yeah. Because like Glorantha, if you're gaming in Glorantha and you've got some guy who's memorized the whole three volume guide to Glorantha, he's been playing since 1979. And, he, you know, and he's. He, he, you know, he argues about the, the, the you know, that's just the, the metaphysics of Glorantha online. It's like he shows up in your RuneQuest game and it's like, man, you better be ready. Yeah, yeah. there is. There is definitely that. Yeah, because and, and even for, yeah, Forgotten Realms, you know, which I use as an example of sort of the non-historic that has its canon lawyers as well, because it's been around yep. so long. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and, and that's another that's a whole other topic. But I think I think that that's true, too. Uh <laughs> And and I don't know with that I think being able to hit a reset button is very important for that reason you know you yeah you know so not every GM is gonna know all the material or even be interested in like the twenty years of they just might want to start with whatever the original book was that came out for it and that's enough to go on and they're gonna they're gonna take everything in that book in different directions than where the line went eventually um, yeah so I. Uh, but yeah that 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 can also can also be an issue i suppose but, yeah well i tried doing that with forgotten realms actually because i uh, i played i played D D back before forgotten realms i mean it existed but it wasn't a big thing and i never got mm-hmm. into it at all and i was done before first edition was done i didn't come back till third edition so the third edition forgotten realms book came out and i'm like yeah this this looks manageable. I think I can get into Forgotten Realms and give it a try. And I tried running it from that core campaign book, and I got the player who showed up who'd read like every Forgotten Realms novel, and it was like, oh, this isn't going to work. Yeah, so it, dro- it drove me out of it. <laughs> yeah, that that can definitely that can definitely be an issue. Um, I, I I don't know. I I, I was fortunate the the setting that I ran Ravenloft from pretty much when it came out and I kept up with the material. So I was sort of a, uh, yeah. a lawyer. If I went back though and did it now, you know, it's been so long. I probably, if, if a Ravenloft lawyer showed up to my table, it might be quite challenging for me. Um, <laughs> but also that's a different setting. That's a much more amorphous setting. 
it doesn't have quite it, the details are not as um as intense as some of the other uh tsr settings from the time so you know it's it, you know it's more a lot of the developments in the setting are much more broad stroke um but there are still you know you know if you have somebody who's read all of the von richten guides and someone who's you know read all of the box sets you would still you know run into some potential issues um, yes yes but uh but yeah That's i don't a... know i uh but but I, I i guess with the the forgotten realms thing what i was thinking with that was more just its approach to designing that setting seemed more sort of the sort of robert e howard type approach of i'm doing this so i don't have to worry about real world history as much. yeah like I'm, I'm, just... I'm freely taking inspiration from it but i'm not worried about whether my knights have this the exact right type of armor or exist in the right type of feudal structure um you know yes. i'm gonna you know i'm gonna throw in whatever anachronisms i feel like and i'm gonna mash this this uh, East Asian country over here, right up against this uh, Northern European country, because I can, and you know that sort of thing. Um, yeah, that's 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 the irony with Forgotten Realms is that it's it started as trying to be the complete opposite thing as to what it ended up being. It's uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 Ed Greenwood's home campaign that he just wanted to throw everything he thought was cool into one world and. But it's 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 taken on its own cannon weight over time. I mean, <laughs> well, and then there's the added factor of you know you have the people who know like the the gaming books, but there's also the novels, and those have their own yes. you know uh, you know thing to it as well. So yeah, and I can and read I, I've read books. some Forgotten Realms novels, but not not enough, I think, to run a campaign for a Forgotten Realms rules lawyer. Um, no, I gaming novels. There, I have read some gaming novels, but I, I do not spend a lot of time reading them. So it's well, I uh, was um, I must have been fourteen when two E came out, thirteen or fourteen, and so I was, you know, I I know that was like around the time that they were really putting out a lot of these books. The I think Dragonlance had come out in what eighty five was that. Uh, I think eighty four. I think off the top of my head. Okay, yeah. so so I know that was big at the time, and the Icewind Dale trilogy was big, and um, I remember you know the, some of the Ravenloft books were pretty popular. Night of the Black Rose was one of the ones that that, uh, that gained a lot of traction where I was, but oh, yeah. um, uh, you know they they were they were pretty like we we read fantasy stuff, but everybody was also reading the the gaming books. We were we were sort of at that age for it. Um, and uh and and i think i think i probably read every ravenloft book uh as they came out um yeah yeah no i read the dragonlance books i read the first trilogy the second trilogy and then uh then they put out one anthology i forget what it was called and i got halfway through that anthology i was like okay i'm done done reading yeah i read the first two trilogies and i remember that having an anthology though i don't remember which one it was and I don't remember if I read the whole thing or just bits and pieces of it. And Legend of Huma was another one that um, okay. I remember. Yeah. Um, that was after my time. But uh, but yeah, so... Um, but I don't know. I think, uh, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to history and gaming, I, I think you're right. It's, it's, it's largely about the attitude and, you know, just how you're approaching it. Um, yeah, just everyone's got to be on the same page. It's one of those things everyone you, you really need to sit down with your group and talk about what you're doing. Because I mean, there's like there's nothing wrong with the meticulous 
we're going to get everything right, but it's just everyone has to sit down and agree to that, and you have to have a group that's into that. And that's it's very rare you can get an entire group of gamers that are all all on that same page with that. But it's it's it could be fantastic if you can pull it off. Yeah, I yeah. I, I, I agree, and, and also I've I've been on the opposite end of it where I've been the GM that was too aggressively pursuing the accuracy, mm. and it alienated the players, and and that's a problem too. Um, yeah yeah you, know well, you get like... the, <laughs> the 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 worst case scenario is where you get the gm who's really really being picky about it and they don't even have a good grasp of it i mean i i can remember when i was managing a game store i had a uh legend of the five rings role-playing game going on in there and there was this one guy who was just the game master was really getting on his player's case whenever they wouldn't get the culture right and it's mm-hmm. like and he he did did not have a good grasp of of how how Japanese culture worked in any way whatsoever. But okay, was, so it was it was both nitpicky and completely inaccurate. So well, and that can be a tricky one too, because anytime you're making that like like I'm running uh you know Song Dynasty stuff now, and um, mm-hmm. whenever I have players that are you know having difficult, uh, some players will pick up on it really quickly. Some players have trouble uh, with with um you know sort of the I guess you could say like the Confucian aspects of the settings and things like that. And I think, I think the, you know, bits and pieces and step by step is the way to approach it. You know, it's not. Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with guiding the players. It's just, don't be a jerk about it is kind of my feeling. It's like, you know, it's just, you know, boom, I'm hitting you with two points of honor loss because you made a mistake kind of deal, you know. Well, well, that can also, there's there's like a sweetness when you're the GM that like, that feels good to do. You know what I mean? And people can get addicted to that. You know, there's the, the rush of of like, you know, having that much judgment over the players. So I, I, oh yeah. But yeah, the way I look at it is um, I try to be transparent. So if if player like if players are part of the cult, if their characters are part of the culture that they're in, then their characters would know that they're about to violate some kind of, you know, cultural norm. And if if there's a mechanic for something like honor loss, then I would basically say to the player, you can do that. But, you know, that what you're doing is is not okay within your culture. Like you're you know, you're you're violating some kind of powerful norm and uh and you're you're you know you know you might translate into something like honor loss or whatever the mechanic you know i i I try you know because i do think that if they were like a foreign character from another land then it makes more sense that they might be surprised by the honor loss sure but i would think if they're born into the culture they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be aware that they're doing something that's gonna cost them um, yeah, you just do the are you sure you want to do that thing yeah. is the way to approach it. Hey, you know, this is an insult. Are you trying to insult him? Then maybe they are. They're like, yeah, I was. Like, okay, cool. But uh, yeah, it's like I said, I, I, I just uh, I, I think I think it could, it could be fun if you if you have a GM who knows more about a historical setting than you do. And they're they're pulling you into that world in an interesting fashion. That's great. I mean, then you know, it's just you just don't use it as a hammer. That's well, all. The other thing too is, but people forget about history. Is that you forget history when you don't keep it up? Like I, you know, yeah, I, I, that was, that was just my topic in school. But uh, I find that if I am not actively invested in a particular period and I leave it for a year or two, I have to bone up on it when I go back to it. And I think a lot of people, I think what a lot of people, some people have good memories. You know, there are people who they can, they can study a topic and then 
five years later you ask them a question on it and they they know everything that they knew five years ago but i think most people tend to kind of forget things or they tend to their memory gets a little bit murky and i think that's why some gamers get very defensive about historical accuracy because they're defending their vague memory of what you know what i mean like a, like a lot of times yeah. you'll encounter that where somebody clearly is a little bit hazy on a on a on a, on a detail but they're defending it tooth and nail and i think it's because of that like the the, the need to kind of uh, believe that they still know something about the, the period. So I, I try to be honest with myself about how much I've forgotten and how much I don't know. Um, yeah. You know, even, you know, even if I think I know a lot about a topic, um, you know, somebody yeah. might have just read the right book and found information that I don't have. Um, and you also have the fact that the history isn't 100 percent, you know, set in stone anyway so yeah you know, no, you just, yeah there can be like a going change by differing and, accounts yeah the, and the consensus consensus can change about yeah. you know or new facts can emerge there um, was there was a new archaeological dig since you went to school so now you're wrong and <laughs> no I, I, that's happened to me with you know it's like when you when you when you're you know when it's been a number of years after you after you've graduated you know mm -hmm. things do get updated um but uh but yeah, I guess the other topic that we wanted to discuss, what well, we still got some time, is uh, what happens to the adventures that the PCs don't go on? So this idea of, you know, I think we've all had those hooks where, you know, the old man in the inn comes up to the party and tells them about the, the, the demonic ravens that are plaguing the nearby village and the players are not, not interested and they, they go on their merry way somewhere else. But those demonic ravens are still there. And, and so... Uh, one tool that I like to use, and I don't do this all the time because you could drive yourself crazy doing it, but <laughs> I do like to occasionally think about, oh, what happened to that community that was plagued by the, you know, what was, go you know, the players didn't intervene. Did somebody intervene? Maybe not. What's the, you know, it, it can, it can lead you down some interesting paths and it can be something that might just be a curiosity like the players wander through the town years later and there's nobody there because they've all been devoured by the demonic ravens or yeah. maybe there's a town full of people who have a grudge against the party because they they didn't help them in their time of need and they had you know <laughs> maybe they were jerks <laughs> about it even so um so yeah so i kind of like this as a uh as, as as just something to you know think about as a gm uh the adventures that the players haven't been on and what's happened uh in that sector of the world yeah, well, the the thing that got me thinking about that when I started gaming, I, it really became a thing for me when I read when I started running Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay because I ran the Enemy Within campaign in that, mm -hmm. and and that kicks off with the players being presented with a plot hook that they're moving towards, you know, to get this job, and basically events will happen that they will miss that job, and that job will go off without them, you know, this expedition, but throughout the ongoing campaign there's just news and rumors of what happens on that mm. that hook that the players didn't get on board with and it got me thinking it's like wow that's that's so cool you know having you know having presented the players with this option i mean there it's kind of railroady because there's no way you can do it but it, it made me think about making sure there's other possibilities and you, the players can see the ramifications of the uh, the choices they didn't take and uh so that was that was kind of the first time I ever thought about it as a GM, and then I, I started making sure to have things like that in my games, because that, that makes the players feel 
I mean, it makes the players feel like their choices mattered if they know, oh, cool, this, <laughs> that, that, that terrible thing is happening because we didn't do anything. That's awesome. The players, you know, <laughs> they, well, also, they feel like they're part of the world. Well, and also I've noticed like when you do it enough, players make le- le- like they make legitimate choices on their own. They don't feel like sometimes in games the weight of the world is the is is on the player's shoulders. Like it's it's uh-huh. sort of a thing where like you make them feel responsible for every bad thing that happens in the world and if they don't fix it, it's their like they're, you know, they're at fault and and they have to do something and that, that's sort of it's sort of a railroady mentality that can sort of emerge in a game. And yeah. I think when they see enough of this happening, they don't always feel like they have to engage it because it's like, well, bad things do happen and we are occupied with this other thing. We're not going to go save everybody. So, you know, uh, so but 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 eventually it starts leading to, you know, to to more real moral dilemmas because they know if we don't do something, something bad is going to happen. But they also know that the GM isn't going to like, you know, destroy us for not going. Do you know what I mean? He's not gonna, yeah. He's not going to push us in that direction. So it really is our choice, and and I don't know. I, I've seen I've seen a lot more interesting player to player conversations as a result of of, of, of that knowledge. Um. So yeah. So I yeah. I, just, I just think it's a good tool. Uh, it, it, it is, and it goes back. Well, I mean that goes back to what we talked about last week with you know being very careful about plot hooks that are about oh the world's going to end if you don't do this because then you're you're giving the players a false choice and, uh, and they can't step away from it. But, uh, yeah, another, another thing that ties in too, I mean, obviously you've got the job doesn't get done, but something I fell into with a group that I had for, for many years was having the, the rival, the rival player character group that was, well, I mean, they were, well, they were an yeah. NPC group, not player characters, but, I did it like once in a D&D game and the players just loved it. You know, it was kind of the belloc to their Indiana Jones, you know, that yeah. was or, or vice versa, depending on how you want to construe the morality. But uh, it, but what, what was funny is uh, then then they started, you know, in, I'd run, I started running Call of Cthulhu after that. And they ran into this other group. They ran into this group of archaeologists in Egypt and the players are like, oh, it's the other, it's the other party. That's the other party. This group of arch- and I, that was not my intent at all. But I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, this, yes, this archaeological expedition. From that point on, I was like, yeah, these guys are their rivals. And it like, it became this thing in every campaign we ran. They just loved having this other group. So whenever a hook would be kind of left somewhere, that other group would tend to okay. jump on that hook and approach it in the way that, that they would approach it, which could be good or bad for the players and uh it, it may it just add another dimension to it there well i I, so. I i like doing stuff like that once in a while i think that that adds I, i've also had the competing party that's that sort of you know which sound like you had too where uh you know they're, they're you know mm-hmm. the players are trying to get an object and the opposing party is trying to get the object or uh, yeah maybe for some other purpose or another person and and uh i think that, i think that what's fun about that too is when you do that and the players are kind of aware of it you feel like you can really amp up the okay i'm going to make a real party that's like a real challenge for them do you know what I mean? like these are like uh you know uh, it's not necessarily gonna be like a one-to-one match like you know like like you know ragnar the barbarian has his counterpart and you know you know uh you know each character has their counterpart in another character but but just giving them people that are sufficiently competent that that it gives them a run for their money um, sure and uh 
Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I think that's a, you know, that, that's. I think the trick is when you do have these, uh, you know, adventures they don't go on, and you're trying to think of what happened. Sometimes somebody will come in, and fix things. Sometimes somebody will come in, and try and fail. <laughs> Sometimes somebody will come in and fix things, but then he'll abuse the local population or turn it to his own. You know what I mean? And sometimes things just take their own natural, you know, it's, or maybe, maybe the village in this case figures out they can deal with the Ravens on their own. You know, it's, it's, uh, sure. Uh, sure. There's all kinds of things. Um, and yeah. And of course in that case too, the village is going to remember the players didn't help them. So the village survived and now they kind of like, that they remember the players as being these dudes that are, you know, kind of heartless. So yeah. <laughs> that has its own, uh, own, own consequence there. Yeah, and I think the consequence, you know, you don't always want the consequence to be another adventure. Um, occasionally you do like maybe sometime, maybe, you know, maybe eight months down the road, the village comes looking for them or the village sells them out to, yeah. to somebody that they're, that they're enemies with. Uh, or maybe just the price of milk is higher when the players go to town <laughs> next time, you know? Yeah. And they get some stern glances, but... Um... Yeah, they didn't help They didn't help the town deal with the witch that was causing the cowpox, and yeah. so now, now milk is going to be expensive forever. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, talk, you know, talk about, like, the, uh, the group being one-to-one, uh thing i mean yeah obviously you don't want to do that all the time some sometimes i did do that but uh in my superhero game they were uh the rival group was uh from the the the, the alternate universe ape dimension that you need in every superhero universe <laughs> so they were like the ape versions so that you know the frontiersman you know had his ape version that was the prime atriot but uh but yeah that was uh that was a good campaign but uh yeah i i don't know the uh the players uh and once again it's you know if the players enjoy it because i'm sure a lot of players would hate having another group uh running around acting like them but for whatever reason this this group really enjoyed that so i i, I ran with it yeah i mean every every group's different you know every every group is different um but we've been going on for for about 50 minutes so i'm gonna end the episode here um it's good and uh so we're gonna we'll be back on with the Santarn experiment i i think we're gonna try to do it this weekend but i got it we gotta we gotta coordinate it with with uh between the three of us so um so it'll happen when when we're when we're next available and uh and this friday is the death duel um the death duel discussion i even got there's a there's a blu-ray version of death duel which i'm uh i'm gonna that's the version i'm gonna watch for uh for the uh for the review um, I'll try to watch the one that they have up on Prime as well. Um, but uh, uh, it's a good movie. I, I, I think that uh, it'll, it'll uh, I'm curious to see what people's opinions are of it. Um, and, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so, and I'm sure we'll be on with more stuff as well. And I'll, I'm going to try to do, uh, if I have time this week, just like a regular review. I haven't done one of those in a while because I've been busy writing, but hopefully I'll get one up. And uh, until then, we'll talk to you later.